All right, hello, and welcome back to Domino Universe. Hi, everyone. I'm Curtis. I'm Jesse. As always, and today we're going to be talking about a video that I recently made with YouTuber Dom Burgess from the channel Everything. A super high production value, fantastic video that everyone should watch right now. Thanks. Yeah, uh, if you are used to my channel, you'll have caught very early on that it is a, <laughs> it is a collaboration just from the fact that I mean, a lot of my videos do not look anywhere even remotely that shiny. Uh, so it was, a, it was a huge pleasure to be able to work with Dom. He is, uh, so the uh, first one thing at a time, I guess. The video that we're talking about is, uh, should we block out the sun to solve climate change? Mm -hmm. And it is a fictional science fiction sort of video where the sun is being blocked out in the year 2030. And we're, him and I talk about a whole bunch of different possible idea solutions for how to solve climate change and specifically some of the worst ideas that, that we could find. There's some bad ones out there. Yeah. There's yeah. some really, really bad ones out there. I mean, it's a complicated issue. So that makes some sense. Like we are trying to, it's a complicated and important issue. So we should consider lots of options. Sure. But there's also just like a lot of nonsense. So we wanted to try to clear up some of that mysticism. Um, yeah. And then, so we made this video together and I guess first it might make sense to talk about actually how we made this video because, um, Dom and I have never met. We live in different continents. He, he's in the UK and I'm in Canada and, uh, we live in this weird age where I think the instinct would be, Oh, we're going to just fly to the same city and make a video together. And I thought that like, the irony was not lost on me. If we were going to fly across the world to make a video about climate change, yeah. the level of carbon dioxide sure. associated with that would be big. Do you know what the, 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 like the carbon footprint of a flight to the UK is? What's For a, like a single passenger yeah. on a flight? Yeah. Uh, in terms of, I mean, I bet, I bet your average Canadian's lifestyle you could go, it's probably about a year of just living is equal to one flight across the Atlantic. That would be my, my rough guess. So yeah, the year, that's like, the, I'm, I feel like I, I was going for like a gotcha <laughs> moment on this, but I'm sorry. Just I'm is too to good. Your moment. Yeah. So it depends on exactly where you're flying and how and, and things, but a flight, a transatlantic flight is somewhere over one ton of CO2 uh, emitted per person. Which is a huge amount, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the considering the average person globally produces something like one or two tons. It's mm -hmm. tiny, right? I mean, the average North American's lifestyle is huge. Like we have, um, I think in Canada, the average footprint is 18 tons per person, which is massive okay. compared to the global average. But anyway, a single flight is more than most people make in a year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we didn't want to do that for a single video. So the whole video, the entire, uh, the entire story of it is Dom in his house as the sun is being blocked out and I've Skyped in or whatever, used whatever future technology <laughs> yeah. Skype evolves into. And, um, and so we're, we're Skyped in and we're doing it all on the phone. And what's wild about that is that. I mean, we didn't, he is like a wizard with computers, right? Mm. So he, I, I, I didn't, we didn't actually call each other. I recorded all of it on my camera and sent him all of the footage. And then he edited it together via computer magic or science. 
uh, to make this, this, what I would consider a beautiful video. And I, again, didn't, didn't make it. It was mostly him. So I can say it's beautiful. But anyway. I, I think it's neat. You made the point that like we would have thought that this futuristic world, the solution would be just hop on a plane. And I think you're, you're right that like the vision of the future from the forties was absolutely like you can get anywhere. You can, it was like what they already had, but cheaper and better and faster. And, uh, it's, it's kind of heartening, you know, to think that the way we actually go is to solve problems in a way that no one expected us to be able to solve them. Uh, so we can collaborate across the ocean without actually having to go there at all. It's like a better on all, all, uh, on all fronts. Yeah. It's something that I'm kind of trying to figure out right now. Cause if you look at most YouTube channels and I'm not giving them a hard time for this, but there's like collaborations is maybe the single best way to grow your channel and your business on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Right. And that is the model. You fly places. And mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of YouTube channels that are entirely based off of that model. Um, I mean, that's why the reason that I'm, I'm able to make YouTube videos now and do it as a living is because of a collaboration that I did. Sure. But like even that, that one with Tom Scott, we didn't, we hadn't met before we made that. Um, we like set it up entirely over the, over Skype, which is amazing that we can do that. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also, I think not the traditional way people do things. Sure. Um, and so I'm trying to right now figure out like, how do I keep doing collaborations while not flying everywhere? Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of tricky, but got some things in the works, I guess. Stay tuned for that coming up. Cool. But we'll see. I wanted to, yeah, I'll say it. I wanted to build a robot to send, send to EduCon, this mm -hmm. creators, uh, this educational content creators conference in California. Mm -hmm. And like the robot would be me on Skype, but I would be able to, to control it from Canada and I would drive it around and interact with people there. I was really excited about this robot. That's so wild. It would be really funny, right? Yeah. And like people make teleconference robots have been around for a long time. Sure. Um, but I wanted mine to be a little different. Yeah. I wanted mine okay. to have like an infrared camera and a claw <laughs> and like some silly things and, uh, like a Terminator. Basically. Yeah. But that's maybe the reason Terminator is probably the reason that Educon got back to me being like, it's, this is a humans only conference this year. You can't, you can't just send a robot. That's disappointing. It is disappointing. <laughs> I mean, maybe they're afraid. I did tell them in my follow up email, I was like, you know, that's fine with me, but. I mean, the robots of the future are going to look through our emails and they're going to come after you. That's actually what I said. Oh, that's so, great. I'm proud I of love that. Response. Yeah. <laughs> they know at least they know what the future has in store for them in 2030 when we block out the sun. Yeah. 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 Well, segued excellently into the, the topic of potential wild ideas about climate change solutions. So you, the, your video with Dom talked about a number of them. Yeah. Do you so, want to go through those? Yeah, for sure. I think the, the key one, this, the, the, the video centers around and the one that we're getting, I think more questions about than anything is should we block out the sun to solve climate change? And yeah. the idea for that is that we would send up a great big probe, a satellite that would release a bunch of little solar panel. I shouldn't say solar panels, a little bunch of panels that would yeah. filter the sun that would basically make a, a shaded planet. And like block out, if you put it close enough to the sun, I mean, you could block out most of the sunlight, right? If it were, yeah, if you had enough of them, big enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in theory, you can control 
the, you know, you can control how much sunlight gets removed and then that prevents more sun heat getting to the planet, which in theory stops climate change and its tracks. Mm -hmm. You're smart, Jesse. Oh, thank you, Curtis. Uh, what do you think might be wrong with this? Because in the video, we only, I only briefly say, like, this is the most over-engineered, most expensive solution that there is. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's important. Like, it would cost trillions of dollars. But yeah. aside from that, what do you think? I mean, I see a lot of potential engineering problems with it. Like, it, you're going to need a lot of these things. You know, the sun is big and the earth is big. And to make a like an umbrella that's going to shade the sun from the earth or vice versa, uh, you're going to need a huge set of these panels, and that's a lot of rocket fuel. Like right off the bat, you're just you're trading a huge amount of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere for for this potential solution. And then you've got these enormous dark spots over the earth, and that's going to have an enormous effect on ecosystems. I mean, I, I suppose you could you could have them move across the earth in a way that you'd still get like an altered day-night cycle, and but you're going to be changing biospheres quite a bit. The other problem is where exactly do you park these things in space where they're constantly between the earth and the sun? I mean, there are Lagrange points where you can you can sort of have a stable orbit that's constantly in between, but I don't know how easy it's going to be to, to carefully aim these things so the shadow goes where you want it to. I mean, this is an engineering nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, I think the engineering nightmare is important. I also think, like you said, it would be so much rocket fuel. I mean, they would need to be like kilometers across yeah. worth of, oh, of shade material, right? Yeah. Maybe like 100 kilometers. I don't, I haven't, it depends where you put it. Um, if you put it in a like range point, it could be small and so on and so on. But then you have to get it further out there and et cetera. But man, the amount of rocket fuel to launch anything into orbit is so immense. Like I am a huge fan of spaceflight. Me too. And I love that we explore the universe. And I think that it is one of the best uses of fuel because I mm. mean, up until now, at least we, we, we still don't have any way of getting above the planet mm -hmm. without using fossil fuels. Whereas mm -hmm. like you can drive an electric car. Sure. You know, there's other solutions to really everything. Um, but man, I would love to, at some point do an episode on like a sustainable space, exploration sure um because that's a whole other topic for maybe another day but for now yeah it would have a huge footprint to make a giant sun shadow it would cast a large shadow oh zing um and then the other thing too that i mean you only briefly mentioned is like yeah these these shadows over the planet they would mess up ecosystems in all sorts of ways and i really hate and this is the theme of the entire video i really hate solutions to problems that involve making things more complicated and introducing more unknown factors mm -hmm. and potentially causing more harm. Mm -hmm. And that's like, this is that times a thousand. Yeah. Um, so there, there's actually a version of this that I've heard of before. I'm not sure if you addressed it in the video, but rather than a, a shade to block out the sun and create a dark patch over the earth, the idea is to release essentially like a, you know what? I think you did talk about it in the video. So maybe we can talk about this one next. Essentially, you create an artificial volcano where you put a bunch of silica particles into the air and that just filters the sunlight. So you get evenly distributed across the earth, a slight reduction in sunlight so that you just compensate for the increase in temperature due to climate change. Now, not to say that this wouldn't have effects on the ecosystem. Certainly it, it would, you know, the, the climate change temperature increase 
is not from greater intensity from the sun. It's just from trapping that heat. So you can kind of offset that by lowering the intensity of the sun, but there are plants and animals that are going to be affected by that for sure. Uh, also, of course, you're adding chemicals to the, the atmosphere, which is probably, I mean, you can, you can predict that they'll have no effect, but there's no prediction for, for making changes on that scale. Um, you know, Jurassic Park has taught us that if nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> The science of Jurassic Park here brought to you by. It's all in there. Uh, yeah, no, it is. The, uh, yeah, volcanoes are, are intense at changing our climate. I mean, mm-hmm. we, when we went through a, well, the last great ice age, there's a lot of, there's a lot of research that indicates that that was largely caused by one very big volcano mm-hmm. erupting. Um, and it cooled the planet by, I want to say like, three degrees or two degrees. I forget what I, I mentioned it in the video. Go watch the video. Um, but yeah, it's, it, they have a huge, they're a, they're a huge question mark, but in terms of actually causing one or engineering one, man, that would be like, it caused an ice age, right? That's, yeah. that's not, that's not something you want to, you want to mess. With. Volcanoes kill people. Like, yeah. I don't know. This is not, yeah. not something you really want to mess with. I don't know. Other meddling, Oh, we talked about, yeah, we talked about volcanoes. We mentioned clouds, um, basically that, that idea. Right. And then there's also this, like, we, we, we talked a little bit about the camels in Australia, and this is a different sort of introduction. You could introduce stuff into the air, or you could introduce, like, you know, animals to a, to a different part of the world to tackle a problem of trying to get around, or, you know, we're really good at meddling with things. And that causes problems, right? I think that that's a really good metaphor for uh, climate fixes on a huge scale, like uh, like solar umbrellas blocking out the sun. Um, yeah, there have been a lot of cases in the past where people have introduced something to an environment hoping to solve a problem, and it's just had a cascade of effects yeah. that were unpredicted. So, like a hundred years ago, the uh, Western settlers of Australia introduced camels to mm. Australia so that they could get around, right? Mm. And after not very long, they stopped using the camels to get around and started relying on cars. And since then, camel populations have soared. They double The population doubles every nine years. There's over a million feral camels. Wow. And this is in a place where there, there were no large mammals in Australia before, the, before people settled it. And so... Obviously, if you have a million mega, these camels are huge, right? Sure, yeah. You have a million of them walking around. They're eating all sorts of plant life. They're pooing everywhere. They are just dis- like displacing other smaller herbivores. Um, and they're producing millions of tons of carbon dioxide yeah, or me- camels, of methane, really. Camels are bad for that. Yeah. Yeah. And then like there's this other, you know, so the argument is like, okay, we kill all the camels. And it's like, no, we, we already messed this up. I feel like we just need to like figure out another solution that doesn't involve more meddling. Abandon know? Australia yeah. to the camels, the camels yeah. and cane toads. You know, the camels are probably also increasing the desert. I hadn't thought about this until you were talking about how they're, they're eating the, the vegetation. And, uh, I know in the Sahara desert, um, animals like goats and, and cows and, and that sort of thing grazing are contributing to the desertification. I wonder if that's happening in Australia too. So there's some interesting studies that actually show how um, 
So the way that can, the way that we raise livestock can can add to desertification. Basically, you you know you send a thousand cows into a field and you let them eat every single morsel of green things in that field, mm. and yeah, then there's there's no nothing nothing holding on to that sunlight and. There's nothing holding the water in the in the ground with the roots and everything, any anything. It all goes, it all goes bad. Mm-hmm. But there's actually a few studies. I remember watching a TED talk on this like years ago, so maybe my memory is bad. But on how if you have animals that graze over long distances that are mobile, that aren't like uh, penned in, it can actually help with des- desertification. Okay, that's which interesting. is interesting. Um, and I think the, the basic principle of that is that they eat, you know, they eat some plants over in, you know, over in this countryside and then they walk a hundred kilometers and they, hmm. they poo out all of that and, right. and that adds fertilizer and seeds Right. Okay. in theory, you know, help to, help to spread seeds and grow plants and so on. That makes sense. It's also complicated. I think is the, it's the complicated. point is that everything's related and it's so complex. For sure. But I don't think... So this is like the the broad big picture, but I don't think having a million camels in yeah. a place that had zero hmm. is going to be helpful in that sense, right? Like because sure. it be- suddenly becomes more like cows in a in a pen hmm. than the wild buffalo of the plains of North America, right? Um, but anyway, I mean, as a vegan, I got I still gotta say like obviously there's an ethic quote ethical cloud hanging above the camels, killing the camels. I mean, but like. If if you're looking for a sustainable meat source, I mean it's better than it's better than introducing an entire another animal. Sure. Because cows, man, they produce a lot of methane. Yeah, yeah. Um, and methane's 21 times more potent as a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. It's a huge contributor to climate change. Yeah. But other meat stuff. Yes. Have you heard about the Lone Star Tick? I have. What do you do? You remember much of? of... Well. You, you. I'm only. The, I'm putting you on the spot because I have to take a sip of coffee. Sure. <laughs> uh, peek behind the podcasting curtain. Um, yeah. So I, I. This is a little bit of a cheat because I don't really know the Lone Star Tick specifically, but you did mention this a little bit earlier, and I have heard of the correlation between tick bites and meat allergies. And uh, is it is it just the Lone Star Tick specifically that's associated with that? I think that's what people are finding out. Okay. So the Lone Star Tick, as you can guess from the name, is in the southern United States of America. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if it's a parasite or if, uh, if it holds some sort of bacteria or what, but apparently it introduces this immune system response, an allergy essentially, to mm-hmm. meat. Mm-hmm. And so the people that get this tick bite that get infected by it can no longer eat meat without having like terrible gastrointestinal reactions, Hmm. which is like, sounds horrible, but also like, so there's two ways to go with this. One is like, I mean, you could ask for people, there's a lot of people that would love to become a vegetarian, right? But like, don't have the commitment, like can't commit to it, you know? Sure. And like, you know, if you wanted to like help them along in their self-control, maybe that's what you do. You say like, okay, there's these ticks and we're just going to, you know, we're going to isolate whatever factor is causing this and we're going to inject it into willing volunteers. Sure. And then the evil genius in me is like, what if we just Mm -hmm. create, you know, we breed millions of these ticks and release them. Yeah. I think that's, I'm not, that's horrible. And I don't, I don't, (laughs) I don't suggest we do that. 
but there is a small part of me that is like, man, we got to come up with, we got to, we got to solve this thing. You could isolate the, the, whatever it is, the, the chemical compound that's creating this immune reaction and seed it into water supplies around the world or sprinkle it on the, the cattle population. So anyone who eats that meat is then allergic to meat for, for the rest of their lives. I used to want to evil geniusy here. Yeah. I, I used to want to make a story of, uh, a science fiction like comic book when I was in high school mm-hmm. and the entire theme of it would be that there's this evil villain and his whole goal is to solve climate change. It's a really interesting angle for a, like a science superhero kind of yeah, story. I mean, he could do things like, you know, introduce things into the water supply that make the entire population sick when mm-hmm. they eat meat, which mm-hmm. is actually good for the planet. Right. But, uh, or like, yeah, block out the, uh, doctor, doctor green pants blocks out the sun <laughs> or whatever it is. I'm not sure. Um, just as a kind of commentary on the environment. Not that I think we should actually be giving people allergies. Sure. That has all sorts of complications. <laughs> well, it's interesting thought experiments. And, and again, I think it, with all of these things, we're coming back to the idea that you can, you can come up with these big, huge changes that we could make to solve big, huge problems. But any big, huge change you make is going to have unexpected, unpredictable, or even predictable effects that, that, uh, that can get out of control pretty quickly. Uh, or that are just not wanted. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really tricky, and I I think the the solution is as it always comes back to is uh, multifaceted. It's a lot of changes from a lot of people. But Jesse, yes, we want a silver bullet. <laughs> we okay. want to have humans. Humans are really really prone to that sort of thinking. Like you said, right? Sure. Like we, absolutely. We really want a simple solution. Yeah. And you can't really have. I don't know of any simple solutions to complicated problems ever in any field. Yeah, I mean, maybe vaccinations, maybe, yeah. like once yeah, you come but, up with a smallpox vaccine and then you go, hey, we just solved the problem. But, but like, but this is the thing, like you can't just have the smallpox vaccine. You also need to be able to educate your population sure, yeah. so that they know that vaccines are good, right? If you right. miss the education factor, then apparently they, these, like the measles comes back. Yeah. Um, it's complicated. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But I get, I, I, I appreciate your attempt. I'm reaching for examples here. Yeah, I yeah. thought, yeah, yeah. Maybe, there, maybe there's one or two. You're doing great. <laughs> um, yeah. So we need, we need complicated solutions or at least multi, multi, like you said, multifaceted solutions. At some point I'm going to do a video entirely about solutions to climate change. And I would love to talk about that in mm. more detail in a future podcast as well. But for now, I mean, I think that the key things are, and this is going to be like the Coles Notes version, drive less and travel less in general, mm. uh, eat less meat, as we've kind of talked about already, and buy less stuff, like have a, everything you buy has a carbon footprint. And then also just like have discussions with people about climate change and vote. Because I think the biggest thing that most people can do is not in their lifestyle, it's in the change that they can implement through governments. Yeah. Um, but again, that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day, but I think it's, ooh, it's an important one. Um, another thing while we're talking about, so I should say the, the Lone Star Tick thing is something that we were actually going to put into the video mm. and then we're like, oh man, this is going to be, firstly, this is like, uh, we're getting into dangerous territory here telling the, <laughs> telling the world that maybe we should put, uh, telling the world that maybe we should 
give everybody allergies. And then the other thing too is like the video is already 11 minutes long. So we wanted to not drag it on too, too long. Sure. Which is always a challenge. <clears throat> um, sure. But yeah, so that's, that's one thing. And then the other thing too is that we didn't mention in terms of doing collaborations is we had another person join us in this uh, project. Again, Dom did the majority of the work on this. So f- like full credit to him, but we also had a guest named Miriam Nielsen join us and uh, she runs a channel called Zenturo and it's all about climate change and how it's complicated. And she also actually does a, is a co-host on the PBS show, YouTube show, a hot mess, which is a great mm, name. Yes, it for is. A show about <laughs> climate change. Yeah. Um, anyway, you can check out her YouTube channel. It is Zenturo, Z E N T O U R O. And her, uh, her Twitter, Twitter handle is the same Zenturo. So go, go check her out. Um, yeah, she makes, she's really, really smart. I think she did, she did some sort of a degree in this stuff. She's great. Um, and I feel like a lot of, a lot of channels that talk about climate change or even my channel, a lot of the time, I mean, I make like a, you know, I'll make like an eight minute video. I'll make a, I'll I'll do this whole huge thing and seal myself in a jar and I'll end up with like a 20 minute video about a very complicated topic. And then on her channel, you know, she'll spend like, I'll make a 20 minute video in total series about climate change Yeah, in general. And then she'll make like a specific video about like are Tesla batteries good or not? Mm -hmm. And it's like one specific thing. Mm. Um, or like really any, like this is the finer points of a green new deal, Mm -hmm. which is like so much, I I don't know. It's so much more in depth. So I appreciate it. But that's that. Speaking of the jar experiment, do you want to tell the listeners what we, what we set up for this particular recording? Oh yeah. Um, so I ended up, this is, <laughs> so I ended up doing that Curtis in a jar experiment where I sealed myself in this jar. And at the time I was like really struggling to get equipment, but long story short, I have two carbon dioxide detectors in my apartment because I wanted to be extra careful. As you do. Yeah. Um, as everybody has a couple of carbon dioxide detectors, right? I don't hey, have a, we should. I don't have a lot of stuff though. So yeah. it's kind of weird <laughs> anyway. Um, but I have these two detectors and we just cleared out the room. We let, let the windows you know, refresh the air in the room. And it was at 400 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the air in this studio, which I think is about maybe three by four meters or something, maybe less than that. Yeah. A little less than that. A little less than that. It's a, it's a small bedroom. Yeah. Um, so it was at 400 parts per million 27 minutes ago when we started this recording. Mm -hmm. How's it looking now? Now it looks like we're just over 1,400. So we've gone up by 1,000 parts per million in less than half an hour. Just from two guys talking. Two people. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, that's kind of mind-blowing. It really is. Because that's just... So it's it's mind-blowing in two ways. One, there's this like factor of biology is incredible. That gas, that that 1,000 parts per million more carbon dioxide, that's from food that you and I ate. Yeah. Which we've like breathed into the gas that is around us by digesting it, right? Yeah. By metabolizing it. Metabolizing it. That's cool. Yeah. But it's also like, man, when people talk about how climate change must not be man-made. Mm-hmm. And we should really do an episode on that at some point. But anyway, when people talk about how climate change can't be man-made, like the earth is so big, there's so much air. 
Like, I feel like if we just put them in a room with a carbon dioxide detector and showed them the impact of the smallest yeah. factor in their lives, their yeah. breath. Yeah. It's like, man, we, we make a big difference here. Yeah. And, you know, it's not just us in the room. We've got a significant number of plants for a, a room this size. Yeah. And still, they're, recent, they're not able to keep up even a little bit. I recently had a house sitter. Um, and they take, like, we was, I was away visiting family. And they looked after my plants and I had to like write a little note about how to take care of all the plants. And there's 37 house plants in my house, which is just like a jungle. Not in counting, not counting Sir Stabington and Tom Scott, because obviously they don't need to be watered and they're my roommates, not my, not my plants. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, there's a huge number of plants in here and that like really doesn't, we're, we're putting out too much CO2 for them to keep up with us. And that's the same problem we're having globally, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, plants like CO2, but slowly, please. Mm. Anyway. Um, yeah, so climate change solutions, they don't need to be big and bold. They can be really small and simple. You have a big impact. Yeah. Oh, and then the, the super shiny video. I didn't mention this. Uh, I, well, I didn't explicitly say this, but you should go check out uh, Dom Burge's YouTube channel. It's called Everything. And we'll put a link in the description as well. He makes these videos that are like, have you, have you gotten to see any of his other? A few of them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm working my way back through all of his, uh, his channel and yeah, he does some really great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He has one that's like, should we like, why is going to, why I think it's titled why going to Mars would be bad for your body. Mm. And to give you a sense of like the kinds of lengths that he goes to, it's not just like him talking in front of a camera. It's him in a spacesuit floating in this abyss around a broken spaceship and it's all like computer generated but looks real mm. and it's like and it's like well this didn't go as planned and like it's him you know this whole fictional story about how his spaceship blew up and like those sorts of things that can happen to your body mm -hmm. um in space flight it's so good and that's just like one of his one of his videos so go check out his channel um i think he's like got to be the highest production value youtuber maybe ever like right up there with Vsauce two mm. or three. Um, and yet he has like the, he has less subscribers than I do, which I, I, I don't know how that happened <laughs> to be honest, but, um, yeah, so go, go check him out. This is a shorter episode than normal, but I'm, I'm I think I'm happy to leave it here. All right. Um, so as always, thanks for listening. But if you want to listen to more episodes of Domino universe, we don't just talk about climate change. We don't just talk about my own YouTube videos, uh, but we talk about all sorts of science. And if you want to follow us, you can follow us on Stitcher, iTunes, really wherever you get your podcast. Yeah. Check them out. Thanks so much for listening. All right. See you later, everyone. <laughs>